2: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks.
0: I think part of what's so challenging about all these decisions—marriage, divorce, childbearing, not childbearing—is that it's so difficult to disentangle the expectations from what
2: you want. This is Death, Sex, and Money, the show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. This week, we're doing something a little different with the help of Ian Koss and the podcast he made about divorce and his family. The series is called Forever is a Long Time. Here's a little bit of the first episode. Ian is talking with his father, Tom. Do you remember remember how Sebastian and I responded
0: to you guys getting divorced? Because I have no memory of this.
3: Well, that's interesting you should mention that. 'Cause that's one of the few scenes that I really can picture. There was a, a therapist there at the Worthington Health Center. Can can you picture that? Yep. Up up on the hill in Worthington? Yeah. We brought you guys there to tell you that we were getting divorced. I remember that these tears just sort of spontaneously popped out of your eyes. <laughs> and you just like I don't know. I just it was unlike you because you're you're quite you're you know quite stoic in a lot of ways but you just like cried instantly and i i can still see that now
2: ian grew up in massachusetts and is 33 he's married now And as he was making that decision, he started thinking about the many marriages in his family that ended in divorce—not just his parents' marriage, but also his grandparents' and aunts' and uncles' marriages. And he interviewed his family about this over the podcast's five episodes. I wanted to talk to Ian because I have some divorce stories myself. I got divorced when I was 30. And my dad was divorced with two kids before he married my mom. So I have two siblings who are the children of divorce. I'm really interested in the many perspectives and stories that can come from the end of one marriage. Ian ended up seeing his parents split as a good thing. They've both since remarried. But that is not how he remembers feeling as a kid.
0: I think the the loss was the family unit. The fact that we lived together and did stuff together, uh, and all slept under the same roof, you know, and I do see those photos of us. There's like this wonderful photo of the, so I was born in this cottage on Cape Cod, um, that was in the backyard of my mom's, my, my aunt Mia, the the house that they lived in. And, uh, it was just it, we had beds right next to each other my brother and i slept in the set of bunk beds and my parents bed was just like right up next to it and there's these photos of us just like all as a family kind of splayed out on mm. this side by side beds in this little cottage and uh yeah i think that's the
2: loss mhm yeah you're making me like whether it's good or bad divorce is always a rupture um mm. And for an adult to go through a rupture is one thing. Um, To be a child without choice or agency, going through a rupture is a whole other thing.
0: You know, my parents really only got together because they accidentally had a child together, um, my older brother, and then subsequently me. Um, And I think one of the feelings I carried around for a long time around their relationship, their marriage, and our family, such as it was, was like a weird kind of guilt, like we had ruined their lives. Um, And I I don't know if that's a common feeling among accidental children, because we did change the course of their lives. uh, Mm -hmm. And I sort of wondered what, you know, what they could have been if we didn't exist.
2: You said accidental children there. Um, I I was in unplanned pregnancy also. I always always prefer the term surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Mm,
0: I like that as well. (laughs) <laughs> the part I never understood was how I was a surprise, because, I mean, I was number two, so. Um. Well,
2: you know, it's interesting learning about your family, you know, that your your parents got together. They had a, a pregnancy they weren't planning together. They had a child together, and then they had a second child together that was unplanned. That was you. Uh But that wasn't when they got married. They didn't get married when there was a pregnancy. There was an intentional choice after they had two kids together to get married. Um, What do you understand was the—why did they get married?
0: So I think there was a practical element that it just felt like we're doing this thing. Uh, We might as well make it a little easier on ourselves. And um, my sense in talking to my mother was that there was, you know, some— that she did invest a certain amount of of emotional value in uh in making that commitment to raise the children together as husband and wife, um she grew up in a Catholic household hmm. um, I don't think that idea of marriage was without any romance or significance to her um so I think there was some of that there too, um though obviously that that feeling did not last very long. They were only married for. A few years.
2: Mm-hmm. I wonder, and, and obviously this is something you cannot know, but have you thought about if they, if they hadn't married and they split up in the same mm. way they split up later, um, do you think you would have experienced it differently if it wasn't called divorce?
0: That's a really interesting question. I mean, I don't remember... The legal proceedings. Obviously, I didn't experience those, but there was, you know, as married people, there was this added layer, this added complexity of untangling themselves from each other that I would imagine added a certain degree of kind of acrimony of the whole thing, and that maybe if they hadn't been married in the first place, it would have been easier to kind of ease out of each other's lives and continue co-parenting.
2: Ian's mother, Ellen, initiated the divorce. His father, Tom, initially resisted it. And both his parents attribute their opposite reactions to trying to shield their children from how things played out in the families they grew up in. Tom's parents had a bitter, traumatic divorce. And Ellen's parents didn't divorce. They stayed together for her sake. But Ellen believed her mother wanted to leave the marriage. Here in this excerpt, Ian's parents tell him what happened after Ellen asked for a divorce.
1: I never understood why Tom stayed with me. I really didn't. I mean, it was always a mystery to me because I don't think he ever loved me. He never said so.
3: Mm -hmm. I think that she would tell you that I didn't love her and that I was just sticking around to to be with you guys. And there's probably some truth to that.
1: And and there were times I wondered, you know, like, late at night whether he was coming home and I'm sure that there were times when he was thinking to himself shit if I just keep driving (laughs) it would be easier that way you know
3: but I never would have ended it because I didn't want to put you and Sebastian through what, what what I went through you know even if the marriage was not ideal
1: but I just knew that I was hurting him and he was hurting me. And that despite the fact that we had two beautiful children together, we would be better apart. Yeah. And I was really sure of it.
3: When your mother told me she wanted to end the marriage. I was not expecting that.
1: He went completely bonkers. I mean, now, now
3: we're, we're getting into, like, stuff that's a little uncomfortable.
1: We agreed that we would not get lawyers.
3: You know, it's like he said, she said. And
1: you know, he wanted a lot of stuff.
3: You know, I mean, divorce is never a pretty thing.
1: Like, this is a little weird.
3: You know, we had that bump in the road when, when she took out a restraining order
1: we got into a pretty serious physical altercation.
3: Your mom and I had a fight about something.
1: And I called the police.
3: And I in the heat of the moment and, and you know, not being very smart, I put my finger on the button. You know, and said, "No, don't call the cops."
1: That was bad.
3: And I got in my truck and I was, I remember stopping. There was a payphone and calling her, you know, and saying, I hope everything's cool and everything. and but apparently, the cop showed up, and
1: that's how we ended up with the restraining order the restraining order against me, mm-hmm. which of course,
2: didn't make me any friends
3: that was that was probably the the low point
2: I have to say when I was listening to your parents separately tell you about the divorce, and your mother says, "I don't think he ever loved me." And then Mm -hmm. your father says, your mother will say, I never loved her. And maybe I never loved her. Like to hear that. And then moments later to hear him describe the fury that she wanted to leave. Yeah. I was furious as a woman listening to that. Hmm. Yeah.
0: This is something I thought a lot about in uh you know in making the show about about how my parents come across um because divorce has does not bring out the best in people
2: no (laughs) i thought Um, oh my gosh these poor people (laughs) why are they having to talk about the their worst moments of their you know like oh divorce is the worst yeah
0: and so um yeah i think your reaction makes a lot of sense um and, and obviously, I, I don't, you know, my interest is not in justifying anyone's actions, um, but I think, yeah, I think what both of them said is is true, and I think it it's revealing about both of them, um, that uh, that in that moment, my father felt so strongly about staying with someone he didn't love, just to. Uh, to protect us from uh, from the D word, you know, from going through that, that experience that he had had.
2: Well, and I also felt like to protect him from those feelings coming back for him. It wasn't mm-hmm. just protecting his children, it was protecting him.
0: Right. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, the separation that ensued was, you know... I feel comfortable saying not traumatizing in the way that his own childhood experience was. And he knows that, and I think he understands that now.
2: Coming up, how Ian's childhood made him think about marriage as an adult.
0: She definitely put a lot more value into that idea of marriage than I did. Not terribly surprising, given our family histories.
2: And the stories of his family got us curious about divorce trends in the U.S. American divorce rates peaked in the late 70s and early 80s, with more than half of marriages ending in divorce. But since then, it's been steadily declining. By 2019, the divorce rate had been cut in half to just 27%. Marriage rates have been decreasing as well. But it's not just marriage rates that are falling, it's people who are partnered at all. Last year, more than 30% of American adults said they don't have a steady partner. That's the highest percentage since the data started being collected in 1986. Speaking of the 1980s, I want to let you know about a series I've been listening to from The Experiment, a podcast produced by our colleagues at WNYC Studios. They've made a three-part series all about work and family, and it centers on spam, that processed meat in the blue and yellow can. There's a lot more history in that can than I ever knew. And this series unpacks some of it, from why it's a staple food for Filipinos to a pivotal strike at the Spam Factory in the 1980s. This strike changed the town forever, and the family's in it, as you'll hear from people like Race Hardy. His dad worked at the plant.
1: Work isn't family. Work is for family that's what these workers it was about and that's why there was such a disconnect i mean who chooses to snatch guts to pass time you got to be kidding me i mean seriously whose hobby have you ever heard of a hobby well what do you do for a hobby i snatch guts i mean that yeah that that's absurd to me that's an absurd statement work is not about family work is for
2: if you're going to work in a packing house you're working for your family you can find a link to the Experiment Spam series in our show notes. I hope you'll give it a listen. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure. This is Death, Sex and Money from WNYC, my man of sale.
0: Could you hold on one second? My yeah, yeah. wife is poking her head in the door. Oh, are you in an interview? Yeah, I'm doing an interview. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna lunch. But that was your that wife? Was Kelsey. Yes.
2: We'll talk about her <laughs> she, more in a minute.
0: <laughs> okay, well, she's going downstairs now, so we can talk about her okay. without her listening on the other side of the door.
2: Ian got married to his wife,
0: Kelsey, six years ago. I think it probably took a couple years from the point when we had been together long enough that we inevitably started thinking about
2: marriage to the point that um, we did ultimately get married. Ian and Kelsey started dating in college. And unlike Ian's family, Kelsey's parents and extended family are mostly still married. So the risks of a lifelong commitment didn't hit her in the same way they did Ian. At any time, you know,
0: we could, either one of us could just walk away and that would be it. Um... Mm. And so, I mean, in some ways, that's what marriage is, right? It's just like putting an artificial obstacle to ending the relationship so that it takes a lot of work to end it, and maybe that makes you think a little differently about it um and uh and, and I say that a little like dismissively that I, that's not all that marriage meant to myself or to Kelsey um but I do think uh, on some level. We were ready to, you know, we were at an age in our lives where we were starting to look ahead and to make decisions and plans. And uh, and it felt, and at that moment, it felt really nice to just decide, okay, whatever those plans are, we'll just, we'll do those together. and And just to have one known. In um, all this, you know, this sea of unknowns, um, mm-hmm. and to have that known be a person who I'd at that point been with for a number of years and been through a lot with, and felt like I understood and who understood me, at, at some point that began to feel like a really, a really nice thing, and, and not something that was scary, but something that was that gave real comfort and and additional meaning to our relationship.
2: As you were making the decision to get married, did you have fears that you would get divorced?
0: Yes, and I still have fears that we'll get divorced. Um, At some point, you know, when we were contemplating getting married or after we got married, I did have a certain anxiety that it would just, you know, kind of sneak up on me. And it would just, suddenly I would the marriage would have would and the relationship would have fallen apart and the longer i spend in it the more i feel like not not i don't want to say like security that it could never happen but a certain comfort in that if that ever happens it'll be a choice we make and not just something that happens without us choosing it
2: maybe that's the maybe. thing we don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's always, there's always our our spouses can always decide to divorce us, you know, you know, like or Yep. That's what I it it is it it there's this element of commitment to a marriage and a partner, and then there's also this uh, leap of faith.
0: Right. I remember that was something my mother told me, it was like It was funny in interviewing my family members you know it was mostly like the stories but then they would like sprinkle it with bits of advice Mm -hmm. um and uh i remember my mother being like you know by the time she brings up divorce it's already over like you know so it's these things you know you gotta they will be percolating beneath the surface long before they are necessarily known to you
2: which is not terribly comforting to hear I don't know. Do you believe that? I think, I I just want to, like, to me, the idea that divorce exists and having that awareness inside a marriage um, can also be this fuel that makes you continually making the choice to be together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the knowledge—yeah, go ahead. Like, we have this issue. We need to deal with this because if we don't deal with this issue— in ten years, I'm going to hate that you're still doing this thing, mm-hmm. and it's going to corrode us. right. Um, and so there's this idea that marriages are not a given. they mm-hmm. can be fragile. right. And so they take care. right. Yeah, and
0: I think that's I think that was always part of Kelsey's thinking. Um, yeah, things things that are acceptable in the short term and y- you can just sort of live with or say, you know, sweep under the rug, maybe, require a different kind of attention when the timescale is your life. And yeah, and they it, it forces a kind of care and attention.
2: Mm-hmm. I wonder after talking to so many family members about divorce and what it was like for them to go through divorce, what it created the opportunity for in their lives when they were no longer in, in marriages that they felt like weren't working. Um, how, do you have a feeling about, like, when you think about divorce as a good or bad thing, as a tool of liberation or a mm. tool of uh, breaking up something that is sacred, you know, sort of how do you, where do you fall when you think <laughs> about that spectrum? Yeah.
0: I would say that is something that changed for me in the course of making this series, you know, and doing these interviews with my family. Um, Partly because sort of on the liberatory front, on on that side of it, I don't think I understood, you know, just how much divorce, the, the option to end a marriage and get divorced meant for many of the people who I love most in this world, um, all of whom are women, not Mm. coincidentally, right? Um, And so the fact that my grandmother and my grandparents were able to get divorced, the fact that my Aunt Rory in the 80s was able to get divorced... Um, the fact that my parents were able to get divorced—I think each of these, um, each of those decisions—you know—in in kind of hearing the full story to the extent that I could uh, understand it—just um, felt like a really brave and um, and positive decision for each and every one of those people. Um, and that's not the case in every marriage, you know. I understand. And even some of the marriages within my family, the divorces felt more ambiguous than others, um, in terms of what the what the result was for the people involved. Um, but I think overall, I'm uh, you know something my aunt Rory said to me in the interview, which is in the podcast, and something I think about a lot is just like you know to like to look at any situation and and kind of see the gifts in it um and uh and that's something that she does with her own parents and her own family and i think you know for me when i look at the legacy of failed marriages quote in my family there's also a legacy of yeah of people really taking their lives into their own hands and and that's something i'm really proud of
2: in the final episode of Forever is a long time. Ian talks to his mom's sister, his aunt Rory. She was divorced the same year Ian was born, 1988, and she never remarried.
1: I didn't want someone enough to deal with most of the stuff that I was already finding out about the, on the first date. Mm. And then I just didn't care anymore. You know, I just it just was a complete non-issue for me. Yeah. Um where I just I was fine and happy and can't even imagine wanting to get into a relationship with someone and doing everything you need to do to, you know, involve yourself with someone's life that way. And in fact, sometimes I feel sad that I don't. I, I'm so allergic to cats because I'd be perfectly happy to be that woman at the end of the street with 15 cats. <laughs> I wouldn't have any issues with that at all. So,
0: I just want to say that you know, I, I realize there are there are negative stereotypes around the idea of being a single adult woman. And I don't mean to harp on that mm-hmm. at all. In fact, I mean, when I look at your life, you know, and the fact that you've lived all over this country, you've traveled all over the world, you've had this remarkable career in medicine, you have hobbies, crafts, you have a wonderful home now with your sister, which is sort of like the hub of our whole family. I mean, and you've been able to do all of that partly because you ha- you sort of have this autonomy of self, you know, that you're not attached to another person so I guess I'm kind of in awe of that in a way.
1: Hmm.
2: Thanks. I think in some ways, like thinking about your family's story across generations, I I was really thinking about like, you know, how much that was a plot point um, of how much mm-hmm. agency members of your family had. Yeah. Um, And I also myself am divorced and got divorced in 2011 when it was a very different experience <laughs> than what my dad went through in 1976. Mm-hmm. Some lessons have been learned about how not to divorce. Mm. I mean, I,
0: I do think I began from a place of, of feeling like they had failed at something that I wanted to succeed at. Um, and now I can see it as like they succeeded at something really difficult Um, and that's not to say that I want to follow that example and necessarily get divorced myself, but I do want to follow that example and, you know, have the awareness of self that they had, um, to be able to live the life that I want, that, that feels most meaningful to me and not feel bound simply by tradition or shame or pride or any of those things that I think can... Keep people in places that are not good for them for a long time. I know. I'm. I'm curious. I mean, you, you've been divorced. Do you look at marriage differently now? Would you marry again? Um, does it, that institution sort of hold meaning for you like it once did?
2: I, yeah. It's interesting. I am. I am married again. Um, oh, and you are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been married. I now call my second husband my longest husband, mm. <laughs> as a joke, and we laugh because <laughs> I've been married to him now longer than I was in my first marriage. Um, uh, and for me, my um, my experience of divorce was it was like a, a crippling shame when it and when mm. it when I uh, faced the reality that th- that's not only what was happening but also what I wanted. That took a long time. But for me, it was interesting. I didn't waver from this longing for still this uh, traditional unit. I was very up for um, getting married again and wanted to get married again. And I think probably because I wasn't yet a parent and I was very clear that I wanted to be a parent. And Mm. for me, what what I wanted was to do that with... A partner, if I could, if I could find him.
1: <laughs> right. So So, uh,
2: I think w- what's confusing about divorce is we have one word for the experience <laughs> of a marriage ending when there are no children, and when there are, when there are children. And I mm-hmm. think it's a much more complicated experience when when the two married people have kids and the kids right. are trying to make sense of what's happening. Right.
0: Yeah, and I think that's. Yeah, and I think, as you heard in my parents' story, that's all it was about. You know, like, there was no money at stake, you know. The relationship itself was not terribly meaningful to either of them. It was really entirely about, you know, what do we do with the fact that we have two children, and what do we owe to them, and what is the best we can give to them and ourselves, and how do we do that, you know. That's that's all it was about, but, it, but you're absolutely right. Um, divorce, yeah, it's one word for a lot of things.
2: That's Ian Koss, the creator of the podcast series Forever is a Long Time. It made a lot of year-end podcast lists, including in the New York Times, which called the series one of the 10 best podcasts of 2021. There's a link to it in our show notes. Listen, and you can get to know more about Aunt Rory and hear from Ian's wife, Kelsey. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Caitlin Pierce and Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Afi Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Gabriella Santana. The Reverend John DeLure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at AnnasalePix, that's P I C S, and the show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Palmer Kurtz in Brooklyn, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Palmer and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Ian does not have any children. That is another big life decision that he and Kelsey are weighing right now. There are many things that
0: I find very appealing about the idea of being a parent.
2: But I also am that
0: person who really likes to be able to just... Uh, drop what I'm doing and bike out to a lake and just like swim out to the middle of it so that I feel small and alone in the middle of the lake and nobody can call me or find me. So it's just one of those processes of just choosing among
2: the many paths of life. I'm Anna Sale and this is Death, Sex and Money from WNYC.